Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to have you guys with us today on Daylight Saving Sunday. Welcome to the 10 a.m. worship service, man. We're just we're happy to have you guys. Uh, there was a, there was there was some tired looking folks out in the in the 8 a.m. this morning. So I hope I hope we got a little bit more energy because you guys don't got no excuses. You're the crowd that slept in a little bit. Some of you guys are like, I ain't going to 9 o'clock this week. But, but if you got kids, then that, that is an excuse. Kids don't understand time zones or, or time changes. They are indiscriminate about what times they wake up in the morning. Um, well, welcome. We're, we're just so glad you're here today. Uh, th- this, is, this is the right place to be this morning. I hope you felt like we were expecting you this morning, like we've been waiting for you this morning. Um, man, we're just so honored and so glad that you're here at the gathering. We, we just want to walk with you down a really simple path. We want you to understand that you can know God and that you can know Him personally. That it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. There's, there's no prerequisites. There's no, nothing that you've got to accomplish first. That whoever you are right now here today, you can know him. And not just know about him, not just know of him. You can know him personally. We, we want you to know you can find freedom. That no matter what's holding you back, no matter what chains you're carrying, no matter what, what mistakes you've made, what kind of guilt and shame you carry, no matter what your addictions are, where your brokenness is, it does not matter. We believe that because of Jesus you can find freedom. And we want to connect you in relationship here with people that are going to help walk with you to that place. And once you've found freedom, we want you to know that you have a purpose. And we want to help you discover that purpose. See, we believe before you had a pulse, you had a purpose. That every person in this room, every person on this earth was made, created, designed with a job to do. And in this series... What we're talking about is that purpose, what, what it is, what it means, how we stay focused on that purpose in a life that would try to distract us from it. And so last week we spent some time talking about how our passions and the things that, that are inside of us from birth, how they connect with our purpose to give us a vision. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go check it out on our website and, and, and catch up with where we've been. We've been studying the story of Nehemiah as we seek to understand wh- what we're supposed to do to stay focused on our purpose in this series. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it and catch us up this morning. So Nehemiah, he lived in the 5th century B.C., about a century before his time, a little bit more, uh, the Jewish empire... Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were conquered and occupied by the Babylonian Empire, one of the very first great conquering empires. And the Babylonians came in and just occupied Jerusalem at first, but Jerusalem resisted that occupation. And so what the emperor of Babylon did was absolutely decimate the heart of that city. The very first thing that he did was to destroy the temple because he knew that that was where everything flowed out of for the people of God. And after he destroyed the temple, he tore down the walls. Now in an ancient walled city, the walls all have homes connected to them. And so in destroying the walls brick by brick, he also destroyed a lot of the homes in this city. There were citadels stationed throughout the ancient city of Jerusalem, which were also destroyed, taking down more homes and more livelihoods 
with it. At the end of all of this, he sent the people out of that city for the majority of them. They were exiled to live in foreign nations. Some of them were taken into captivity to live in Babylon. This went on for about 70 years. About 70 years, the people of Israel were scattered all over, very few living in Jerusalem itself, and Jerusalem was left empty and defenseless. After 70 years, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire. Are you with me? Come on. This is great history stuff, right? Empires conquering. After the Persians came the Greeks, then the Romans, okay? And so the Persian Empire had a king named Darius who saw fit to send the people back to Jerusalem. Once they returned, they were there for decades in a ruined city. After some time had passed, they got permission to rebuild the temple. But once they rebuilt the temple of God, they did not keep it solely for God. You see, the people of Israel had a purpose. It was very clear. It was given to them thousands of years before this moment. And it was to pursue God and God alone and to make Him known to all the nations of the world. And they rebuilt this temple in pursuit of that purpose, but they got complacent in it. They lost their way. They started to fill the temple with false gods, with idols that they had picked up in their time living in other places. And there was a season where they had simply forgot their why, their reason, what they were made to do. After some time had passed, about 160 years from the initial invasion of Jerusalem, a man named Nehemiah was living as a servant to the Persian king. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, which meant he, brought, he, he tasted his food and his wine to make sure there was no poison in it and had interaction with the king on a daily basis. And God woke up something inside of Nehemiah. He woke up a passion, a purpose, a reason inside of him. He heard a report about his city, the city of his ancestors, Jerusalem, and the condition of it, the brokenness of it, the, the, the defenselessness of it, and everything inside of him broke. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you saw something, you heard something, something that just woke up something long dormant inside of you, a purpose, a reason, a vision came alive. This happened for Nehemiah. He prayed, he planned, he prepared, and he came before the king with a strategy. And the king allowed Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and agreed to pay for the repairs to the walls of Jerusalem. It was a real miracle. And one of those times you can clearly see that when God puts a dream in your heart, he will also provide for you everything that you need to see it come into fruition. Nehemiah rides to Jerusalem with an army behind him sent by the king of Persia. He gets there and he, 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 he goes in and a couple nights after he's been there, he hasn't told anybody his reason why he's there yet. He goes out in the middle of the night on horseback and rides around the city examining the walls, just letting the brokenness of it sink in. And he begins to plan and to make a strategy and to look for strong points and weak points. And he studies all the different gates and, and he tries to figure out the best way to rebuild it. And the next morning, he calls an assembly together of everyone living in the city. And it's priests and it's nobles and it's, it's prophets and it's just regular people like you and me. And they stood there and Nehemiah explained to them their need for protection. He explained to them what was going to happen. He showed them the vision God placed in his heart and they got fired up. 
The people of Jerusalem were excited to see their city restored to the strength that they'd only heard about in generations before them. So they begin to rebuild the wall, and the wall is rising, and everything is going well, just as it should be going. But in Nehemiah chapter 4, where we pick up today, things started to take a left turn. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're in here today, and you're still wondering what your purpose is. You're wondering... What's your passion? What's your dream that God's going to place in your heart? You've heard us talk about it. You're still not sure. Well, I want to encourage you and remind you that there is something waiting for you. But what I want to do today is prepare you for what comes next. Because maybe you're in in here this morning and you began to pursue your purpose. You began to chase a dream. You had a vision that God placed in your heart. Something woke up inside of you and you just gave yourself to it. But then it just seemed like all these cracks started to appear. Like, like, like you gave yourself fully to pursuing a life after God, but then everything all at once just started to go wrong in that life. Like everything all at once just started to come at you and it felt like nothing was going the way you thought it would. Maybe you started to pursue a dream and, and it was a lot harder than you thought it would be. And so you're tired, and, and it brings you some kind of fulfillment, but it also brings you a lot of exhaustion, and you're wondering, what are you supposed to do next? That's where the people of Israel find themselves in this part of the story. Uh, look, at me, uh, look with me at uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, and then I'll explain it. I'll break it down. It says, when Sambalat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in one day? Can they bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, as burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down this wall of stones. And Nehemiah says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they knew it, know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to this work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. See, the reality is, when God puts a dream in your heart, when He puts a purpose in front of you, when He calls you to something bigger than yourself, you are going to face opposition. There is going to be moments that will come sooner than you want them to, with a, with a greater weight than you think that they will. 
that will make you question everything. And so our, stra- our, our, our series, our message today is titled, A Strategy for Discouragement. A Strategy for Discouragement. You see, I think we're really good about building a strategy for the good times. I think we're pretty good about building a strategy for what we're going to do when things are going the way we want them to. But I think a lot of times when discouragement hits, when opposition comes, when things don't go the way that we plan, we find ourselves surprised, caught off guard, not expecting it. And so what I want to talk about today is how we can make a strategy right now so that when that moment comes, or if you're in it today, we know what to do next. Because it will come. It will come in the form of detractors. It will come in the form of detractors. People that speak out against you. People that will tell you this is never going to work. Voices that you'll hear over and over again reminding you of all the weaknesses that you have. It will come in the form of people from your past and people from your present. Voices, you know, one of the biggest lies we're told when we're kids is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a bunch of baloney. That is just the biggest lie. The reality is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can wound me forever. You see, words, they get into your mind and they sink down into a place in your heart that just doesn't disappear. And And from your heart, they kind of start to leak out and they stick to your soul, never disappearing. They show up in the moments where you thought they were gone, where you thought it was over. There it is, those words, that that reminder of the things that were said and the way that people spoke out against you. Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem in this story, they're feeling pretty good. They've got momentum. It's going the way they dreamed it would. Nehemiah is seeing this vision God gave him come to life. People are excited for the first time in decades about something good happening. And then these guys show up. Sambalat, Tobiah, these these guys, I I just picture them like they're just out there doing all this construction work. And then this band of goons comes riding up. And they're on horses and they've got silly little crowns. And they're just, you've got to know that this is a lot of people. Sambalite is there with some other leaders beside him, and there is an army behind them. And they are literally just riding around these walls, hurling insults at the people that are doing this hard work. Oh, man, as one of the prophets of our generation says, haters are going to hate, 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 <laughs> hate, hate. It's a hard moment for Nehemiah and the people of God and, and, and it's a moment that they just find themselves unprepared for. Jesus warned us that there would be seasons like this. In John chapter 15, he says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world, and so it hates You, people are going to come up against you when you are pursuing what God will call you to. When you are pursuing the way of God in a world that opposes the way of God, you will find opposition and you will find detractors. I'll give you a moment. I experienced this. Uh, Robbie and I, 
we're traveling around seeking churches to partner with us to start our church. You see, in order to start a brand new church from scratch, you need a lot of support. You, you, need, you need other churches to come behind you financially. You need churches to come behind you in prayer, in partnership, people to teach us what to do. And so we were just looking for all of that. And uh, we met with about 30 churches. And we heard no 27 times in some really fun and unique ways. And one, one way I, really stuck with me, I'll never forget it. We had this meeting with this guy and uh, we had been connected through a friend and uh, we showed up to the meeting right on time or a little bit early and walked into the room and he looked at us like shocked that anybody was coming into this office. We said, hey, we're here, we're, we're, we're starting a church and so-and-so connected us and, and, and we're here for the meeting at three o'clock and he goes, oh, right, okay, and, and called us into one of the conference rooms and we go in that conference room and I, I had... I had been working on this dream for a long time. Robbie and I had put together a strategy, a plan based on other churches that we'd studied, mentors we'd had, people that had led us in this, books we'd read, all of it. And we, we had this big book that had everything kind of laid out. And, and we just poured out our heart. We gave him the book. We, we shared what we believed God would do and why we, we thought he would do it. kind of laid it all out on the line. And after we finished, he laughed and looked at us and said, Seriously? It's really obvious to me that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> he said, I've actually never seen this strategy work before. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now that, that whoever's told you this would work, they don't know what they're doing either. That, that this doesn't, you're asking for too much. It's too detailed. The details don't make sense. It, you're going to a city that doesn't want you. Asheville, I think, there's no way there's this many people that don't go to church in Asheville, okay? It's a city where Billy Graham is from. It's fine. And, and to, uh, on top of that, churches don't succeed that try to start in Asheville, probably because everybody's already in church anyways. You guys need a new city, you need a new plan, and probably a new leader. And, and I just kind of sat there like, okay, well, thank you very much for your time. Would you pray for us before we go? I didn't ask him that. And so, <laughs> listen, there are going to be people, some of them you expect, some of them you never would, who are going to oppose you in what you are doing in the dream that God's placed in your heart. And when you face those detractors, it's going to lead to something else. It's going to leak down, and it's going to bring you to a place of discouragement. Discouragement. In verse 10, we can see the discouragement the people were facing. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble, we can't rebuild this wall. You ever feel like your strength is just drained? It's empty? It's given out? Like there's just too many obstacles in front of you to keep going forward. And a minute ago, you were excited it says just a few verses before that, that the, that the rubble, the ashes of the rubble was being cleared away and raised again, and now it's just obstacles. That this strength that they were all filled with is drained, it's gone, it's emptied because of what they've heard. Robbie and I walked out of that meeting and got in the car, and I've never felt more discouraged in my life. I felt like a failure. I, I wondered in my bones if I was the right person for this, if I was... If I was delusional to even think any of it would work, I wondered if, if the plan that we'd spent so long preparing really was as bad as this guy said it was. I, I began to wonder what we, were, what we were even thinking in believing that we could do this. See, I had a lot of meetings with guys that, that saw parts of the plan that were a result of our inexperience that helped us grow. 
prayed for us, led us, showed us, showed us better ideas, things that we could change. But to me, it felt like that guy came in that room just to tear us down. I don't know if he had a bad day. I don't know what happened. But that was how it felt. And I just walked out feeling so discouraged. We don't need detractors to get discouraged either, do we, sometimes? And sometimes I still find myself wondering, am, am I the right person for this? Is, it, is any of this even, even happening? Do I have, any, if I have any of the gifts that I need for this? Am I, am I just delusional? And over time, all that discouragement leads us to a place of disillusionment. At some point, we begin to forget why we're here in the first place. When the opposition mounts, then it seems to get heavier and heavier, and, and the task becomes harder and harder. There's a moment where we ask ourselves, why am I going through this? Is it worth it? Will it make a difference? Is it making a difference? I've felt this way at different points over the last couple of years. There's been times where I thought, you know, maybe I'll move to Florida, buy a boat, be a fishing boat captain. There are guys who make an entire living fishing every day. That would be bad. That would be, that would be good. That that might be more fun. We get this disillusionment. We we have these thoughts where we wonder: Is this purpose that we're pursuing? Is it all just a bad dream, or is it what we're supposed to be doing? Do you ever hit moments of disillusionment with your dreams? When all of this happens, what are we supposed to do? What can we learn from Nehemiah? What can we learn from this incredible leader? Look at this text and let's learn how we can stay focused even when things get hard. Let's build our strategy. I think the first thing that we need to do is focus our prayer life. Focus your prayer life. I, I think that for many of us, prayer becomes a last resort. See, I believe it should be our first response. I believe that prayer should be in front of everything that we do and it should be our reaction to everything that happens. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is facing severe criticism from these guys around him and yet he's got an army with him and yet he doesn't attack. He doesn't go after them. Instead, he doesn't even respond to them. We see his prayer in verse 4. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. And give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. He was mad. You could tell that. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here's what I want you to see from Nehemiah's prayer. Is that our instinct a lot of times when people come against us is to respond in the same kind of anger that they're acting in. Is to respond at the same level of intensity. To respond with the same level of meanness. But Nehemiah... Instead of turning the insults back on their heads himself, ask God to do the work for him. He just immediately responds in prayer. Now this one is hard. Because it, 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 a dream is something so sacred and so precious, so personal, that when somebody comes up against our dreams, it's hard not to want to respond and fight and protect those dreams. To stand up for ourselves. To go after this person's character. To do all the things that would feel good in that moment. But that's not the way of Jesus. Nehemiah has these guys riding around his wall with an army, shouting insults at him and belittling the work he's trying to do. But his response is not even to utter a word back to them, but instead turn vengeance over to the Lord. Romans 12, 17 through 21 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals uh, upon his head. That's why we do it, for the burning coals. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's just hard to show people kindness who are trying to end your dreams. It's hard. But Jesus calls us to a higher standard. In fact, I would say that Jesus even calls us to a higher standard of prayer than what Nehemiah shows. That, that what Jesus calls us to is beyond that, that we're not supposed to just pray for vengeance over our enemies. See, I think the way of Jesus would call us to respond to our detractors by praying that they would be healed of the brokenness in them. That God would reveal to them the purpose he created them with. That they would understand that they are a precious child of God and that it would wake up inside of them. That, that when we begin to pray for them like that, I believe that a work happens in us. That we begin to change. That it helps us to understand that we once had a brokenness the way that they did. That, that, that the kind of hurt they're projecting onto us represents something that we once felt and shared. I believe that the way of Jesus is to love these people through the way that we pray for them. And it needs to be our first response. Prayer is not just something that we run to at, at the end of the day. I think it's where we need to start. See, I think if you want to be able to get through the discouragement that is going to come your way in your journey, that you've got to start with a foundation of prayer. That it needs to be the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. God, I'm going after the purpose you gave me today. Give me every ounce of strength that I will need. I'm giving this day to you. I submit this moment to you. That when, any, when anybody comes up against you in this stream, Heavenly Father, I lift up this person to you and the way they're attacking this purpose you've given me. Remind me of the way you created me today so that I may not be discouraged. And Father, I ask that you would open their eyes to the way you've made them, that the gifts that are inside of them would be put to use for you it's what it looks like and we got to start living that way once we learn to focus our prayer life it's time to focus our defenses look at nehemiah's strategy he says they all plotted together to come and fight against jerusalem and stir up trouble against it but we prayed to our god does it ever feel like everything that comes up against you is working together like, like the bank is somehow communicating with the, with the neighbor that you have a hard time with. And somehow they've decided that this is the week they're coming after you. That somehow they're just, they all plotted together to come against Nehemiah. And it says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Nehemiah had a strategy. The first part was prayer. The second part was people. The first part was prayer. The second part was people. I would suggest a two-fold strategy for your discouragement, just like the one Nehemiah built. It says in Ephesians 6, 13 through 18, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith 
which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, you just think, every time I see that verse, my cheese factor goes off, the armor of God. I can just picture being in Sunday school with like an actual plastic knight's armor on, trying to learn about the armor of God. Do you ever wonder why the armor of God doesn't have any pants? It's alarming. I've thought about that a lot. But listen... You've got to know that the reason Paul wrote to the Ephesian people about the armor of God was because he understood the kind of opposition they were going to face pursuing the purpose God made them with. It's very simple. The armor of God, all this, this allegory that he's using there, he's just trying to help you understand you need to wake up every day and give your, your week, your day, your morning to God in prayer, and you need to study his word and understand it. You need to memorize truth. You need to learn it. You need to let the righteousness and you need to let the gospel of peace permeate every aspect of your being before you even try to go out and do anything else that day. Because that's how we're going to be able to stand up against the flaming arrows of the enemy. There's just an enemy that's going to come at you. He comes at you with everything that he's got. And I'm telling you right now, the very best defense is to have the the word of God ready and prepared inside of you to respond. You see, his best way to get to you is lies. He is the father of lies. And every word out of his mouth is a lie. And he'll use people to lie to you. And he'll use yourself, the voice inside your own head. I hear myself more than anybody else speaking lies into my heart. But I'm just ready with all the promises of God to remind myself why what I am doing is what he has made and called me to do. I would recommend you keep a journal. I keep a journal. I'm not the journaling kind. Uh, my wife is, when she writes a journal entry, it's four pages long, and it's, it's the introduction to the greatest novel you've ever read. But when I write a journal entry, you can't read a single word of it because my handwriting is so bad. It's usually in bad English, and it's two lines, just two lines, all I ever write. All, that's all. I, I'll study Scripture. Every day I try to read God's Word, and, and I, there's always something in there that I either need it now or I need it later. It's like um, if you've ever watched, you got little ones, you watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. It's a special tool we're going to need later, right? It's the, the my mouse tools. No, come on, my parents are young kids. You know what I'm talking about. The mouse tools. I'm going to need this later. Let me put it, oh, toodles. I got it ready to go. I got it ready to go. And so I write down this, whatever verse that I think I'm just going to need. I feel like God, the Spirit's saying, you're going to need this. I write it down. I write it down just like a summation of it and the reference. And then I write down what I call the heart of my prayer, what I feel like God is calling me to pray about that day. It's usually one sentence. That's all. But I'm telling you, it's like my shield against the flaming arrows of the enemy because I'll get somewhere around 3 o'clock, and 3 o'clock is the devil's hour. I'm just telling you, you're tired, right? The coffee's gone. It's so gone. Lunch is gone, and you're just looking at 5 o'clock. And somewhere around 3 o'clock, I'll need to go look at that journal entry and be reminded of the truth that is more powerful than the lies that is being put my way. You've got to get a defense. And then the first defense is, is strong prayer, studying scripture, get journals. that just, just make sure you are surrounding yourself with the armor of God. The second part of that defense is people, the right people. You need right relationships in your life, people that will encourage you, people that will remind you of who you are, people that know you. you if you don't have anyone in your life that you can go to and say, I'm discouraged and I feel like giving up on my dreams, then you've got a problem. And you need to find those people. I've got people. People I call. I just say, hey, 
It's Mondays. I quit on Mondays sometimes. I'm usually back at it by Monday afternoon, though, because I call and I just say, hey, man, it's been a hard week. It was a hard Sunday. I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And they say, no, man, you got this. I believe in you. God, God's got this. You know, and I'm like, all right, let's do it, man. Let's, you just need people in your life. You need to be in a life group where you can take the mask off and expose your discouragement, expose the things that you're hearing, expose those lies. And you need people that are going to respond and encourage you and tell you what's next for you, give you some next steps, stand beside you like guards over your heart. There was another pastor that I called. His name's Brian Robbins. He pastors Missio Day here in town. He's one of my friends. And in fact, when we started our church at Rainbow School, his church was meeting like right across the street. And I met with Brian a year before we moved out here, shortly after that first meeting. And Brian looked at my plan, and there was a lot of things in, in our strategy that I had, I had put together while living in Silicon Valley that just didn't apply to a city like Asheville. Brian helped me understand those things. And he had a lot of similar feedback, honestly, but the way that he communicated it to me was different. You see, he showed me some things that he thought would work, some things that, you know, he wasn't clear about. He asked a lot of questions. He helped, he helped us build. He gave some ideas. And then at the end of that conversation, I was a little confused because I had a lot of notes that I had to figure out what to do with. Brian said, hey, I want you to know something, John Mark, that I'm proud of you for answering this call, that I'm excited for you to come to this city because we desperately need what God has called you to do. And I'm going to pray for you right now, right here today, and I'm going to be praying for you often after this moment, because we can't wait to see what God's going to do in your church. You see, there's a difference between the wrong relationships and the right relationships. The right people will help you navigate discouragement in a way you can never do on your own. You need people. You need a strategy of people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. We're just supposed to do it together. You may not have the same purpose or dream that I do, but it doesn't mean we can't just keep moving forward towards those dreams together. That's what it's all about. That's the church. Third thing, the last thing this morning, is you need to focus your why. Focus your why. You're going to face opposition, but if you understand why you're doing what you're doing well enough, nothing will be able to stop you. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It means that that verse is one of my favorite in the Bible because it means that before you were here, he had a job for you. It was prepared in advance you are God's hand. He puts you together. The right gifts and dreams and talents and passions and abilities all in one person because he wanted you to pursue this purpose. He's placed inside of you. It's there. And he usually wakes up with a why. For Nehemiah, it was this story he was hearing about a broken city with broken walls that was ashamed, everyone around it. And, and, and it woke something up inside of him. Maybe for you it was something different. Maybe you went on a mission trip for the first time and and you saw the rest of the world and God just woke something up inside of you. Maybe for you, it, it, it's, it's, it's something in your business and your work and you realize that you can use your talents in the workplace to bring glory to God and bring people closer to Him and something just woke up inside of you. I don't know what it is, but we've all got a why. And if you haven't found it yet, pursue it, find it, discover it. Let us help. 
But we've got to remember that why when things get hard. Verse 13. says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. What Nehemiah did was a little bit savage, to be honest. You see, they were under danger of invasion, of attack, of violence. And the people were discouraged and they weren't working anymore. So Nehemiah had their wives and their sons and their daughters and their families come stand in the gaps that they needed to fill. It's a bit much, but it's a great reminder to know that that's why we're doing what we're doing. You see, the people of Jerusalem had gotten used to living under constant attack. They were used to it. It had been 160 years. They, they, they were just, they had accepted the fact. You see, in that world, walls were everything to a city. Walls were security. They were safety. They were the promise of a future. You needed walls in order to survive in that time. But the people of Jerusalem, they, they just said, they, they just got used to a reality without them that, you know what, the people come in, some of us die, some of us survive. You can't really have nice things because somebody's going to come take them, like, That's life, and honestly, it's the way we've always lived. It is what it is. Nehemiah wanted them to see that there was more, that there was a better future, that there was a reason to fight for something bigger and better than they'd ever experienced before. Nehemiah wanted them to see right there, right next to them, that that is the reason we're going through what we're going through, that it doesn't have to be this way. There's a promise of a better future, and it's just waiting on the other side of this purpose. My wife's similar. See, I just believe that in this city there are so many people who are just used to being broken. So many marriages that have just been bad for so long that people have just accepted that as the way it is. Let's just keep going this way for a while and then, you know, we'll move on. Or there's just so many people who have just fought with addiction off and on for so long that they've just accepted this is my life. You know, I'm just going to keep going back into that place and keep hurting the people around me and just keep damaging relationships. That's just, that's my normal. That's what I have to live with. Or there's people that are just so overwhelmed by their guilt and their shame that every day it's a struggle to get out of bed, but they've just accepted that as reality. This is, this is me. This is the world I have to live in. You see, you've got to know that my why is because that was me and now I'm changed. I've got freedom. I wake up with peace and satisfaction and joy in my heart. You gotta know that I thought it was just always gonna be one way and now it's completely different and I won't rest until I can walk up and down the streets of this city and look in the faces of my friends and my neighbors and the people in my community and see a change in them. See darkness replaced by light. See brokenness fixed by healing. See, see the joy of their maker coming out of them. I see a day where this city is changed and transformed by the message of Jesus, where we don't just accept brokenness as normal, where we don't just accept longing as our reality, but where we know there is peace and satisfaction and hope for a future in the one who gave everything for us. And I gotta keep that why in front of me because sometimes it's hard to pursue the dreams I've got. Sometimes it's hard to wake up and believe that I can do it. Or that that God's got the right dream for me. Sometimes it's hard. So I've got to stay 
reminded by my why. I've got to get in front of people that are broken regularly. I've got to be around people that are hurting, that have accepted it the way that I, I've got to see them. I've got to be with them. I've got to show them the kind of love that people showed me in those seasons of my life. And I've got to go back and read those journal entries and remember what God's done in me and remember the change. I've got a leather-bound journal is my first one. I want to talk about this. I've got a, it's the first, it's where I wrote down all the things that I heard God say about me when I was coming out of depression. And I just got to let you know that I have to go back and read it sometimes to be reminded of who he's made me to be. You've got to get your why in front of you, always, right there. Because even when things get hard, it's worth fighting for. It's worth pursuing. It's worth going after. And there is something in you, if you haven't found it yet, listen to me tell you. There is something in your life that is going to make everything worth it. Every battle, every fight, every, every, every ill word spoken against you. The people... They see their why right there. And in verses 14 through 21, man, they're different. They're changed. They're excited. They're fired up. It says that they kept a sword in their hand and arrows on their back, even when they went to go get water. That when they went to sleep at night, they slept with a sword at their side. Hopefully, they weren't like tumultuous sleepers, or I bet a lot of people were injured that way. They were different. They were excited. They believed God would do it, and God would do it because they knew the focus. They were focused. They knew their why, and they had a strategy for the discouragement that would come after them. What's yours? It's time to build one. It's time to get ready. We don't have to be stopped by discouragement. We don't have to be disillusioned and abandon our dreams. We can keep moving forward because that's what we've been made to do by the one who's called us to it. Let's go after it today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've made us to do, God, that you have a calling on our lives that is even bigger than what we can even dream up or imagine on our own. So God, for every person in this room still waiting, still wondering, wake up a why within them, God. Open up their eyes to see what you see, Father, to understand why you put everything that you put in them, in them, God. Wake up passion inside of them and then give them a reason to pursue it. Lord, for every person in this room who has been pursuing their purpose but has fallen into discouragement, Lord, just lift up, give them hope this morning. Lord, put some peace in their hearts this morning. Put their why in front of them this morning. Help us to remember that even when the world around us says we can't, that if you say we can, that's all we need. Father, we just trust you. We thank you for calling us, for leading us, for putting big things in front of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and amen, amen.